Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are now tuned into the EPB podcast, the podcast growing culture of soccer in America and speaking with professionals in the space in America and around the world. Today, I have a very special guest. I have a coach, high school and college since at least 1987. He is the chief executive officer of Spartan Wolves FC, one of the very few black-owned soccer clubs in the state of California and became one of the early brothers who really pushed this sport uh, along the lines in America and definitely in the state of California. Mr. Mike B. Asphalt. Coach, welcome in. I appreciate you coming. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. One, a long resume. We're going to get to it all. But before I get to that, I, I just want to say that I, I watched the first episode of this uh, David Beckham documentary. Um, there was something really interesting about how how he was one of the earliest players to really take advantage of brand deals and the money that really came into soccer. I mean, there was one quote that was like, man, we didn't have, we had regular cars in the car park. Then David Beckham started pulling up and we all had to upgrade. So just just early on in your experience, like what what as a, a young soccer player um, would would you say was kind of the pinnacle of being you know, the top dog, like what was the biggest goal you had? Was it to have all the money, have all the cars and clothes? Was that even a thing or, you know, what was it? No, definitely wasn't a thing. I think just the mere fact that I saw black men playing the game uh, and growing up where I grew up, we didn't see that many. So we gravitated to what we saw and we didn't see, Pele was one of the big names, but in English football, you had, Guys like Paul Reaney, um, uh, Cyril Watts, uh, uh, oh man, I can't even remember half these guys. <laughs> yeah. Yo, but, yo, there was a lot of older men, yo, that I saw back then. Cyril Regis was his name, sorry. Um, that played, and we just wanted to emulate. You know, we didn't even know how you were going to get there. You played on the the little neighborhood teams or the park teams mm. or your school teams. And that was it, y'all. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't an everyday thing that one of us would move to the next level. So give me a little bit of your background. I know you immigrated here uh, in the, to the States. What, what, when was that and where were you in kind of your soccer career at that point? I was uh, 14, oh, wow. uh, coming from England, um, Jamaican parents. Uh, got here um, and I found out some interesting history that the NASL Aztecs and the Wolverhampton Wanderers were close. Yeah. Oh, and in that, they were so close that the owner of Wrigley Spearmint Gum owned the Wolverhampton Wanderers and part of the NASL Aztecs. Oh, wow. Yes. So the as a kid coming, you know, when I got here, I knew uh, a couple of the English, the Wolverhampton Wanderers players because they were sort of our neighborhood coaches at that time. So I was given a pathway to get over to the Coliseum to see them. And, you know, there wasn't too many other black boys or Latino at that time. So we were supposed to be the next generation until the uh, NASL went bankrupt. Wow. And that was in my senior year of high school. 
Oh, that was your senior year of high school. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, they went bankrupt the senior year while I was at Hamilton High School. So, so yeah, NASL for any of my my listeners is the the original MLS, I should say, the North American yeah. Soccer League, formed in in late 1960s. Oh, it says right here, 1968. Uh, went bankrupt around 1984, 1985, um, and and but had major European players playing in America at that time. So, I mean, imagine this, this is the 80s. We have Pele coming over here playing. Who else was over here? Wasn't Johan Cruyff over here? Johan Cruyff, George Best, uh, Rodney Marsh. These were the English players that I kind of remembered. You know, obviously Pele. You had Franz Beckenbauer. Yeah. Uh, that played in New York, made up the Cosmos. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was a good, exciting time. We just didn't have uh the immigration transition with enough numbers to sustain it. We were playing in places like the Coliseum. And I say we, because I was there sitting along a bench, you know, waiting, knowing I wasn't ever going to get a shot. But, you know, it was good to be there. Yeah. Were Americans playing soccer back then? When you moved uh, to the States? A few. You know, I played in Culver City with a lot of Middle Eastern, European, Brazilian and German uh, kids. Yeah. You know, uh, it was a lot of us foreigners on the west side. And then out in the South Bay, you had some you know, American kids who were playing. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a lot at that time. The, the immigrants, essentially, right? Yes. It was just, yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. And then how, how did your career progress from there? Because I know, obviously, you came to the States, you played soccer, but you also ran track. Yeah, it was, uh, ran a little track, you yeah. know, wasn't the greatest, but I did well, you yeah. know, uh, did it for the Navy also. Um, but I was like a, tool, a dual sportsman, you know, those are my two little areas that I could gravitate to. And uh, for me, soccer with track speed, put me out there on the field. You oh, know? Yeah. oh, yeah. I was like, you know, back when it was still a lot of kick and run and outrun the slow guys. <laughs> a, a track, somebody with some 100-meter uh, uh, speed can, uh, can, can be effective on the field. Very, oh, very. Yeah. Especially oh, yeah. when they were still learning the game at that time. Um, it, would, it, was, it made for interesting games. You know, I played a lot of hide-and-go-seek in the midfield, you know. <laughs> defensive players assigned to me and I'm sitting in the midfield and they're not sure whether they should come across the halfway line to come and mark me or wait until I get over there, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, by then I may be jets turned on. When you came over, were you playing club and high school ball? How uh, yeah, I was doing a little bit of both. Um, okay. I played uh, high school. Played uh, club. I was like a traveling gigolo, you know. You got a ball, got a game. Play I'm, anywhere. I'm trying to get there, you know. I'm not mad at that. So so before we get into how you started coaching, what was the infrastructure of soccer like coming to America, especially coming from England where they, they had certain things already in place, obviously. Like what was the difference? That, you know, did you come over here and be like, man, none of these people can play? <laughs> well, it's funny, my first coach, yo, he was a uh, he was a football coach or partially the football coach and the track coach 
And he said to me uh, one day, hey, England, can you play? And I'm like, oop, can I play? You know, and I'm looking at this man with a soccer ball, and he's asking me, well, what position? Oh, look, just go out there and get us a win. I'm like, hmm, okay. So, you know, it was um, it was good fun. Yeah. You know, uh, I, to say I learned something, I won't say that because I really didn't have a coach. I had an American guy as a coach, and he really didn't know the game. He was making the funds. Yeah. But my club coaches, uh, my club coaches were very good. Ah, you know, okay. And, yeah. And do you remember how you or your parents found the club? Uh, my uncle uh, actually found the club for me and took me there. And um, from there, it became, hey, you know, after a practice, oh, man, you know, we got to have this guy, you know. And I played uh, Culver City. Uh, I played for a Jamaican team that had a Jamaican coach who knew what he was doing. Yeah. Coaches I had back then were very good, you know, club coaches. You know, at least they they would talk to me about positioning, how to, you know, what they were looking for from me. You know, so, yeah, yeah it, was, it was fun. Yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah. Again, like, you know, when people talk about soccer in America, they act as if this it, it just kind of came out of nowhere within the last 15 years or something but it's no, no it's been around there's been coaches around obviously you know a lot a lot of probably the best coaches have, you know immigrated from like you said the caribbean or mm -hmm. europe um but they were here they were in america um yes you know and, and pushing the sport oh most definitely most definitely so then what was the next level did you end up uh, playing in college or or anything or did you go straight into working and then coaching how did that work I basically ended up, um, uh, I tried college for a hot minute and that wasn't working for me. So I joined the Navy and I played on the all armed for on the all Navy team, all armed forces team. Wow. And you know, that was a good thing, you know, yeah. because whenever, uh, there was the armed forces game games, you know, army, Navy, air force, Marine Corps. Even though they had the academy games, we had you know, the other games underneath, you mm -hmm. know, where you weren't playing against the Naval Academy, against the uh, uh, Army, Army Academy, or against the Air Force Academy. You know, we played uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard games. Uh, plus, when, whenever we went into different countries, uh, I either represented the ship or we went to the um, uh, all military games in different countries, you know, so that was always good, That's you know, for at least eight, nine years, you know, getting called up, getting orders, you're out of here for a couple of months, you know, you go and train and then you're going uh, to play ball for, you know, the military. Wow. I'm good. That's something I that's another concept I didn't even realize, but it makes sense, you know, having especially because I I played in D.C. at Howard. Right. So I played Virginia Military Institute. I played Navy, the colleges. But imagining, right. you know, actually people deployed or people in training. Mm -hmm. They're right. also on these teams, on these sports teams. And they've had those for. Right. Wow. And they're different from the colleges now. Yeah. You know, OK. They don't mix the college team. You know, if you're already in the fleet, as we call it. You play for the fleet, wow. you know, yeah. the fleet commands, you know, or the marine commands, you know, and 
uh, pretty much when I was stationed at Long Beach, Long Beach had a team. Uh, El Toro had a team. Each fleet had had their own squad, and you they were organized. Yeah, in the area, you know, and we, we played games against one another back then. Man. You know, and then, you know, they put together the Los Angeles area teams or, the, you know, to go against, say, the San Diego teams. You know, and so that, that's how we played. And then when I got to San Diego, I played on board the aircraft carrier squad, the Ranger. Were there any, like, national... Uh... You know, competitions like the the East Coast uh, fleets versus the West Coast or whatever, and never got. To we 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 played a couple of games against the East, but majority of the games that I remember playing was playing uh, the Scottish Navy or the Australian Navy yeah. or the Hong Kong Navy, you know, or the uh, we played Malaysian Navy. You know, we had some good fun. Those those games were good and. We didn't get touched up like everybody thought we would because now you're looking at a lot of um, uh, foreign-born players that were in the military that played ball. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So now all of a sudden you go, uh-oh, you know, this team can play, you know. Yeah. So how, how did you uh, transition in, out of that and into coaching? I suffered a knee injury while I was uh, – working out with the uh, All-Navy squad uh, out of Orange County. Uh, we were at Irvine at the time, and uh, that meant I couldn't go back to my command, which was Long Beach, so I had to stay out here, and my parents lived in West L.A., and somehow I ended up meeting a guy that said, hey, you know, I need some help with these little kids. Can you help me out? Mm. And uh, took the team from there. Uh, took a team uh, sponsored by Golden Bird Fried Chicken, and we we continued to grow. And then uh, for a period of time, everything kind of went dead with soccer. There was really no push with it, you know. So it died for a little while. This is in the youth, or just everywhere? Because at this point, the NASL yeah, yeah, died too. The, around the, the country overall wow it kind of went dead you know yeah. uh it wasn't uh as publicized you know you yeah there was games going on but it wasn't it was basically just pickup games you know wow but then once it came back once the uh world cup uh came in and we started getting uh the um marlboro cup games and Camel Cup games, those were cigarette sponsors yeah. when cigarettes were allowed to sponsor right. pro sports. Right. You know, um, you know things kind of changed. And then all of a sudden you've got uh, talk about a new league coming uh, after World Cup. And once World Cup you know, gave them such a, a big push and we had uh, some Gold Cup games, boom, here you go with the NAS, I mean, sorry, the MLS yeah. came about. Wow. Thinking about it from just historically, you you know, you 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 came to America, you were playing soccer, it was in, in the world. Uh, we had the NASL at that time, so we had some of the world's best players playing in America. And then the NSL, NASL went under, um, and, and, you know, you kept playing soccer in the Navy, but like you said, the, 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 the world of soccer was kind of, dying out in America and then uh, 10 years later in 1994 
the U.S. hosted the World Cup. And it reignited the brands. It reignited the you know the publicity and and the energy around it, which is really funny because that's you know around the time that I'm coming up now. I'm you know I'm right. 94. I'm probably six years old, and my parents are putting me into soccer. So like just that understanding that it's just you know that exposure to it, you know it being in your face, it now being in America. So now fast forward you know, 25 years later, and we've got the uh, World Cup coming back, right? Mm -hmm. And we've also got the Copa America coming to the United States. We've also got, uh, we've, we've got all kinds of soccer competitions and we can all kind of feel it that it's, it's about to blow up again. It's, it seems right. like history is now repeating itself again. Yeah, well, I think on this go round now, because of the American business side of the sport, it will do very well because um, you talk about the fact that a lot now, a lot of the young European, South American players are looking at this and saying, well, wait a minute, I can come to America and make good money playing here yeah. and, get the, you know, and get the limelight. So, yeah, you're saying that it's going to come from everywhere now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because look at it. Um, Yo, where we're at immigration-wise, we've got we've got people from all over this place. Yeah. Yo, <laughs> the melting pot of folks now, it's it, it is so great. It's yo, I don't think you can go through this country again and say I've never met a man from Timbuktu. Yo, yeah. there's somebody around here in L.A. Yo, <laughs> in in San Francisco. Some you know, there are people here from those countries. Yeah. You know. So um, you know, television's good. You know, the marketing is good for this sport. This is what NFL feared. Right. The outdoor sport playing basically at the same time. They've turned this into a true family family orientated game where you see young boys young girls going to these games with their parents. You know, you don't see that in England or in, the, or in Europe as much. Wow. You know, it, yeah. it, when you watch the games on Saturday, Sunday, look around those stands and see how many young kids you see versus what you see here in America at LAFC or at uh, Galaxy Games. It's different. And it's, and it's interesting that you say that specifically. <coughs> um, I was just trying to look up I, I saw some stat that had the uh, the SoFi Stadium, you know, eighty thousand eighty thousand seater, and um, they they hosted this the Super Bowl obviously with the Rams last year, right? Right. And uh, and then they hosted the I want to say it was the Copa America. That's what I'm looking up. Yeah. And it actually ended up being more people attending the Copa America. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's just it's it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 ready to, to blow up now. How do black kids get involved in this? You know, this sport is growing and grows very well. But I think for a lot of parents, especially black parents, I think the single mothers who have seen the sport of soccer versus what they're seeing in the injuries for the young kids that are playing football. And you know, the stats are real that yeah. these kids 
are getting injured early in football is the thought these parents don't want to see their son, you know, get involved in. Yeah. When you talk about these head injuries or these neck injuries, you know, few of these mothers are, you know, saying, who's going to take care of him when I'm gone? You know, if this is what he's in right now in a wheelchair, who takes care of my son then? You know, and still remember, <clears throat> yes, football has come a long way with the concussion, but it's still a very violent sport. Yeah. You know, very violent sport, you know. And I you know, don't get me wrong, I do like to watch it. Yeah. You know, yeah. but um chances are not as as not as great as in football. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And that's it. I mean, that's I, I would say that's a hundred percent of why my parents got me into the sport. I don't think you know, a lot of my friends, you know, growing up did did start playing, right? That's the, you know, parents, uh, par uh, for, since as long as I can remember. So I would say since early in the 90s, parents mm -hmm. would jump their kids into the sport to get them active without getting right, hurt. Right. Um, and then some, some people stuck with it, but most didn't because it's just, frankly, not American enough, right? Um, so, right. so we're changing that. So what in your coaching have you seen kind of, have you seen an evolution of especially being coaching in black areas, coaching black kids. Um, have you seen an evolution of, of, of enjoyment in the sport or is it kind of the same? No, there's a lot of enjoyment. I've got you know, kids now, black kids, youth that love it. You know, the parents love it. The fitness, you know, gives them. Because remember, after football season's over, their season is over. Yeah. You know, there's no more tackle. You know, yeah, you can go out there and tackle all you want. You know, you won't have your pads and your helmet on. You know, so um, as far as that goes, but as far as the soccer goes, remember it's basically year round. Yes, you can play this game. You know, in California, when we got beautiful weather like we've got right now, and the fields are right, whether it's turf or grass, beautiful. You can play. Can't beat it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Can't so, beat it. Are you still seeing probably on some of the most elite teams, at least this is what I've I've kind of noticed, I'm still seeing maybe one or two black players uh, on, on some of those best teams? Yeah, you know, um, which is something that I kind of have an issue with. Some of the, the black players, they're either, if they're not from the community, they were plucked from another community, mm. given a scholarship, and use for their speed or you know, their size, you know, which is cool. But some of the kids that I know, they don't get along with that. Not that they don't get along with the players. They feel out of place. Mm. You know, this isn't their area, you know, especially when you're talking about being in Newport Beach. You know, hey, power to all of those who live down there. I don't knock it. But you take a kid from out of the hood, you know, down there to go play, and he's got a ride, you know, he's paying his mom or somebody to go get him and pick him up and play this game. Then, you know, this he's, he's a borrowed kid. I personally try and preach to the parents, look, there are lots of good black coaches within the city. Find one. Hmm. You know, find a black coach that, you know, can help you. We need more of our black kids to represent from the area. And we've got some. Guyasa Zardes, 
is one. Yo, he's from the inner city. Mm. And there's others. Um, you know, but we don't get looked at in the same manner. You know, they would rather go and get a kid from the uh you know, from over in the Caribbean or South America, young kid, than take one of our kids that they can develop. Mm. And I also understand they're looking for instant impact that yes, they can take this kid, he get him some games, we can sell him to a European club. I understand. But you can also do that with the uh black African American players. Yo, born and raised here. Born and raised here. So you're talking about some of the higher level pro- programs, the MLS Next kind of cl- yeah, teams yeah, that yeah. that instead of looking kind of inward, instead of looking in Inglewood here in in, in inner cities, they they would rather if they have uh, kind of more more diversity on their team. That diversity is coming from literally overseas. They're, they're right, right, right. Interesting. Yep. And now are there clubs wh- who inner city clubs who do compete in these high Level like do do does the Spartan Wolves even have a ECNL uh, team? Uh, no, no. Okay. Uh, for me, that was a money decision. We okay. didn't have the money to go with that uh, with the ECNL. Yeah. Plus, I think that was more ego on the individuals, you know, that created ECNL and how it came about. But I'm just a guy sitting on the outside, you know. They don't come and talk to us, yeah. you know, but yet you want us to support what you're doing. Yeah. Ex- explain that a little bit because pay to play is probably the the number one thing people people talk about uh, in the world of, of trying to advance soccer in America because it's just such a backward system. But it's not the only issue, right? Uh, but Or it manifests itself in different ways. It's not just that kids need to pay to be on these teams to play but even in this example you're saying teams need to pay to be a part of these high level uh leagues in order to play against the best 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 and some clubs might not have have that ability to do that Um, no you know um you know so they say that it's you know the best teams are playing at the ecnl level okay or MLS, uh, mls next that is true. There is a few teams there. <coughs> Excuse me, but you don't get the, you know, some of the other players. You don't get. They don't get seen if they're not with one of those major clubs right. that's playing in there. You know, um, and for the black player, there's no pathway unless he's going through MLS. There's no. Uh, there's no pathway like the Hispanic player. Or the Latino player, if he gets looked at right, he can go to Mexico. He can go back to Honduras or Guatemala and play with one of those teams. The black player, you know, first you got to educate the parents. You got to, yo, uh, you got to educate the parent. You got to see, yo, is this kid, yo, the right fit, yo, compared to what the European clubs or what these other countries are looking for. Yeah. You know, our black player doesn't have it. You know, I do the inner city high school all-star game and the inner city college ID camp for both boys and girls. And, you know, what we can, we get a lot of turnout uh, with the kids, but when it comes down to, you know, uh, the colleges coming out, 
you know, we get one or two. Mm. We don't get, you know, we're not East Coast, so therefore, you know, as I've told everyone, we have to go with where, you know, things look right for us. Interesting. You know, you've got to look at the Long Beaches, USC's, UCLA's, Dominguez, Northridge, you know, Cal State, L.A. You've got to look at those schools. They're the ones that are around you. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of our black kids want to go to the historical black colleges. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, it's not every historical black college has a men's team, you know, in some cases. And in some of the, you know, in some of the other schools, they've got the women's team. And it's not as if you're, uh, I think you, they go through the motion of, okay, we got a soccer team and that's that. Yeah. You know, they don't give it the blessing like they give. And I understand football's the money sport sure. at all these schools. As long as you can get your know, people coming in the stands for these home games, for the HBCUs, that's some money coming in. Soccer's not going to drive that for you, but you don't get the same sort of push to get, um, you know, the, the, the players, you yeah. know, to come and want to attend those schools. Yeah. You know, the, the scholarship, you know, the scholarships, the way it's given out, they may have two, from what I hear, you know, for the you know for the soccer team, you know. I just know I've heard of horror stories. Oh, it's it's it, it's bad. I can tell you from my own experience. Howard University, the only black college that has a Division One soccer program, we got nine and a half scholarships, nine and a half full scholarships. Can't even field a whole team uh, with scholarship players. Um, you know, our, our coach, our coaches did you know do well with divvying up things and, and trying to get people in. But, uh, you know, when you compare that to, you know, certain football programs that have something on the line of, you know, 45 to 50 full scholarships for players to come play in, you know, players who might never touch the field, you know, uh, it, it's, it's different. And yes, that, you know, that's a money thing. But, you know, even when, when I think about soccer, especially college soccer, um, but even, even high school club soccer, I, I used to play in these regional tournaments uh, against other regions, and Southern California was probably the best region from me growing up in the world. Not in the world, I guess in the United States. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then when I think about college soccer and I think about UCLA's history, UC Irvine, who, who I've played mm -hmm. against, uh, who've got a great team. Like you said, Dominguez Hills, Santa Barbara. I mean, it's almost, it's almost like California and Southern California have its own you know, Cal even go, stretching up right. up the coast. They've got their own. Well, you know, USC men's had a very powerful team until they uh, until they got NCAA sanctions. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's why there is no men's team. You know, they gave it the kiss of death, which has been long over. You know, but uh, yeah, I SC SC had their. There's own no, team. there's no doubt in my mind if SC revises their soccer. You'll you'll see the difference, you know? Yeah, and that's that's Title Nine, right? That was that's like uh, there's not enough well, women's sports uh, and and money. They used in that you know as a part of their justification ah. as to why there is no men's team, but that wasn't it. They originally had uh, players from the Caribbean and from the African nations that came over on those F1 visas. Yeah. And uh, somehow 
paperwork wasn't done correctly. Yeah. That seems to be a recurring theme. I'm and and again, that's not even in my college experience, we had multiple players like you said from the Caribbean, from uh, you know, East Africa, North Africa, um mm-hmm. who weren't even able to play uh on my teams. Great players. We had a goalkeeper my freshman and sophomore year, our our starting goalkeeper who mm-hmm. was essentially sanctioned his first two years because some paperwork wasn't right. And wow. I'm not sure uh, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what the fault is, but if you know, if you have an ability as a player to come and play in the states, I don't know why they can't make that that happen. You know, what NCAA is is is, is NCAA in your mind still a a a, a top um, you know resource for kids to go and and advance their careers in in the game? Yeah, but you know, they have no after they come out of uh, college. They, you know, there is a hoping to go to MLS, mm. you know, or the uh, NW, uh, uh, NWSL, mm-hmm. you know, for the women. Um, I think the college has been uh, is a fantastic resource for players, you know, to move to the next level because at least you're playing X amount of games at a constantly high level. Yeah, but the N, you know, NC Double themselves. Are they viable? I think they're. I think they're more of a bully squad. The way that they operate, you know, to the you know, college sports. I don't think some of their justification on rulings, discipline, how the sport is played, mm. you know, is um, you know, it, it, it's. I don't think that's in the best uh, judgment of the game. Mm. I yeah I um. I, I I have mixed feelings about NCAA. Once NIL came in, I, you know, I I was thinking NCAA mm-hmm. would would fall apart. You know, it, it would only be a matter of time. Right. I think I think the 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 introduction of NIL has really helped them and re- revitalized uh, what they're doing. But it, again, it just seems like they are taking advantage of players, and especially when you see young athletes around the world are you know turning professional at younger than eighteen. Um, and can support themselves, support their families, you know, to go and play uh, in college and and have all these rules around you and around your brand and your image and the work that you're putting in. It didn't make sense to me as a player. So that's that's a that's right. a personal thing. Let's let's get into to coaching to to cap off this uh, this podcast a little bit. Um, I just want to I, I talk to a lot of coaches on here just to understand the game, how the game is growing, how they grow the game. One of the most resounding things I hear uh, around uh, this topic is that in America, uh, the, to, in order to be a coach, you have to win games, which when you're trying to develop players, it's very difficult if all you're thinking about is I need to win games so people will keep coming to my club, people will keep paying me so I can I can continue this. Do you do you feel any of that? Is that um, uh, pretty consistent to, to how how it's been for you or for you? Are you development first? I'm development first. Um, I've been in the game coaching high school 30 plus years and wasn't until recent that I started winning championships. Mm. You know, there was a lot of blows in the early days. Yeah. You know, uh, because you're still playing, you know, um, uh, you're still trying to teach players how to play the game. Um, there was, a, you know, 
with the influx of the Caribbean and the Latino players, it made the game of coaching easier. Hmm. Okay? It made it easier because there wasn't as much teaching the game, but understanding how to play it once you get on that big field. Hmm. Um, for me, though, you know, if it's just win only, win at all costs, I don't know who those coaches were, but I know they've had some bad days when they take losses. Yeah. You know, yeah. because we don't run forever and, you know, we'll always find an excuse in our loss. Well, I didn't have my best players. Well, you know, they had bigger players. Oh, they were from, you know, Mexico. Or they had the Jamaican kids that were fast enough. Still the same ball, still the same 11v11 right. or 10v10 out there. You, you know what you needed to do at the very start of the game. You just didn't do it. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, the end of the day, uh, coaching to win at all costs, are you teaching the players to play the game? Right. What is your, your, what's your strategy? You know, I believe in teach them how to play play within the formation, understand how the formation came about. There are kids that come to me and they're talking about playing all these new fancy formations. It's like, well, wait a minute. How are you going to play that when you don't understand how to play a straight flat back four or a diamond defense? Right. Huh? What are you talking about, coach? Oh, okay. Right. Yo, I got kids telling me, oh, yeah, I'm a winger. Okay, which one are you? Strike winger or midfield winger? You know, what, what formation are you playing? Oh, well, I play up here. Okay, then tell me what your formation is. Yeah. You know, oh, well, the coach really didn't go over that. I said, but he's got you playing that. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and, you've got to understand that, you know. Yeah. Uh, for me, you know, why 4-4-2 or, you know, 4-3-3, depending on how the, the team can handle it. You know, um, I believe in that. Yes. Sometimes I may go to a, a four-five-one, you know, and play with one strike up front, just to you know, just to throw some things off and have you know my midfielders and wing and my mid midfielders from the outside overlap or have my back overlap. But coaches, if you're not teaching that, you know, to understand, you know, how to play it, and you're just teaching them to pass out of your know, triangles and downside overlapping runs, you know, some of it has to be created by the amount of playing time that these kids get out there. Right. Also, you know, we're not giving them enough recovery time hmm. or, you know, giving them the correct exercise to recover. Yeah. You know, and then we've got these high price, you know, uh, facilities that charge you an arm and a leg just to, you know, help recover your kid. No, go home, take your nice hot shower, your hot bath, prop your feet up, you know, relax, let the game. What do you think the pros do? What do you think the college players do? You know, let me go relax my body. Especially when I hear coaches go out there, oh, we had a three-hour session today. You had a three-hour session for what? The game's only 90 minutes, so what do you, what do you <laughs> think you got out of them for three hours? Yeah, so nothing. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 you come from a high school uh, coaching perspective too, where 
I'm sure like zoning comes into play, you know, basically the kids at your school are the kids you have, but you know, right. a, lo a lot of that, you know, we have to win or, 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 you know, we might get shut down comes from, you know, some of the club coaches, especially the early youth ones. So, well, you know, the club coaches are, are very bad at uh, putting out misinformation about, you know, there's no need to play club or, you know, play high school. Oh, no need First to play of high all, school. Wow. There's only one high school career that you get. Once it's over, it's over. Yeah. Okay. And to take that away from a boy and a girl, you know, from having their, uh, you know, their fun as high school players, I think that's wrong. Mm. You know, let them enjoy that. You know, school is school. You, you know, the, the social sociality that you get from playing high school ball, you know, representing your school, it's far different from just going out for, uh, you know, your club team where you think, oh, I'm going to play Man United, Deuce, and I may get picked up. Okay, I hear you for your chance. But, you know, what happens if you don't? Right. Yeah. Yeah. At least you got your education. You represent your school. That's something when they do their reunion, they'll always remember, you know, winning the championship together with these kids for your school. Always. You hear a lot for of me, club, a lot of club, a lot of club players, uh, a lot of club coaches encouraging their players not to play high school. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is crazy. Which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Which is absolute crazy. But as you see, for them, it's like these coaches now saying, oh, well, I've got a, a, you know, a football academy. You do? How did you get that you know, grading as an academy? Under who are you an academy in your own mind? Hmm. You know, we, you know, coaches bullshit these kids. You know, I got an academy. An academy of what? Yeah. You know, what made you an academy? You know, and then when they stand there like, oh, well, you know, I'm tied to Chivas, or I'm tied to, you know, Galaxy. Okay. So you're tied to all of that. You know, what about these kids? Is there a pathway for these kids? Yeah. You know, and some of them don't have it. Interesting. As I wrap this out, because I know you're a busy man, I don't want to take too much of your time. I I, I just want to, uh, one, I want to thank you for uh, for coming on and telling your story and talking to me a little bit about about the game. What, no problem, uh, what as the, 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 the sport grows, inevitably grows in America because of all these things that are coming, what are you looking forward to seeing over the next, let's say, five years? The growth of the, uh, the growth of the professional leagues, both men and women. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The growth, y'all. Um, I think, y'all, that soccer will inevitably run a very close first to football as an outdoor store sport. Wow. You know, I, I, you know, when you look at the immigration and all those, you know, from all these different foreign countries now that are, you know, loving it, um, man, this game, its potential to get bigger is there. Yeah. You know, you're going to see more exciting games. Uh, I think the biggest problem that they're having for American soccer is that they haven't had enough of the American youth explode on the next level yet. Mm. You know, we're missing that. If we can get that where we'll be all right, you'll see a lot more American youth saying, hey, he came from my neighborhood. Right. I know he balls, you know. Right. 
Yeah, I mean that's what you see Every, everywhere you go. It's it's so and so mm -hmm. came from here. You know, you know that's why right. the tri-state area is is so big because they have so many players playing on the national team. Um, right. You know that kind of thing. So so I I agree with you, and and you're right. It seems like the way to to do that is to have players play at the professional level in these leagues, in these domestic leagues. Mm -hmm. So we have something yeah. to look up to. We have you know yes yes yeah images to emulate. more TV time. More accessibility to TV time. Yeah, yeah. Well, Coach Ashfall, I, I I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Not a problem, sir. Hopefully, we can uh, part two this at some time in the future and 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 get yeah. into some nuts and the bolts of, of what you're experiencing out in these communities. But, um, yeah. you know, I I you know I appreciate the 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 wisdom you have over these years of coaching. It's 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 crazy Thank to you. think about. It's it's definitely crazy to think about. Years and years when when this sport was just cast to the side, when this was just an obscure sport. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great. Thank you for listening in. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube. You can also follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Eat Pray Ball to uh, to tap in and and uh, and um and definitely uh, engage with me. And coach, if if anybody yes, is interested in uh and and going to find a club that's in an inner city, uh, where where can they go? Well, depending on their age group, uh, high school girls return to us. After the high school season in March, okay, um, we'll have high school girls. Uh, we'll have youth boys, U thirteens, U tens, and possibly a U fifteen boys team. Oh Yo, wow! And they can they can go to Spartan to Wolves. Spartan Wolves. I'm sorry. Yeah, Spartan Wolves FC. Got you. I'll I'll make sure to add that. Throw that on screen for the podcast. But yeah, Spartan Wolves okay. FC. It's inner city. It's right here. It's accessible to you. If you got a young boys or young girls, this is the place to be. There you go. Hey, it's the EPB podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. We will check you guys later. <laughs>